uh, it's all perspective. Mm. There is no such thing as failure if you learn from it, you know, and you learn from, okay, this isn't going to work next time. Okay, this is a very valuable tool. This is something that I can build upon. This is something that's going to make my presentation next time better. If you, I never, ever, either personally or professionally, or you know, certainly with on a flight, look at any situation where, oh, that was a failure. Because uh, if you do, if you look at it purely from a, a, a win-loss scenario, then yeah, that's truly a failure. But if you can learn from it, it's not a failure. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm your host, Dan Moyle. I believe in the power of story. From personal connections to business, storytelling is what separates us from all other life on earth. It connects us. And we're about to dive into yet another great story with a fantastic storyteller. Now, before we do, A quick reminder that our website has great resources available, past episodes and contact information for me. Uh, Visit thestorytellersnetwork.com for that. And if you're new and just testing the waters, uh, be sure to text storytellers to 31996 in order to subscribe to the show and hear more great stories. Now, today's guest is inspirational to me. So he may not be a professional motivational speaker per se, but he has motivated thousands of people to mobilize and serve on an amazing mission. Uh, This guy today on the show co-founded an organization that serves veterans in their later years, starting first with World War II vets, moving on to Korean War veterans and Vietnam vets as well. It's called the Honor Flight Network, and it's made up of more than 100 local hubs, all because Earl Morse saw a need and convinced a few other pilots to begin flying veterans to Washington, D.C. to see the memorial built in their honor at no cost at all to the vets. An absolutely incredible story. And since May 21 of 2005, thousands of veterans have taken their honor flight from all over the country. Earl Morse tells a great story, has heard many, many more. So today you get to hear from inspirational storyteller Earl Morse. Let's get to that story. Earl, thanks for joining me today on the Storytellers Network. Um, I want to I want to start with asking the question because to me this season, at my past four seasons, most people have been storytellers professionally in some way. This season is a little bit, um, a little bit different. We're talking. I'm talking to inspirational storytellers. So, I want to ask you the first question: Is do you consider yourself a storyteller, Earl? Uh, not, uh, that's not at the top of my resume. <laughs> I, uh, it, it seems like, uh, through happenstance, uh, I, I have developed some skills along the way and, uh, well, looking at how this, this nation now is piggybacked on, on this idea. I, I guess I, I do have some skills in that regard. Right. Do you, do you think that story has helped move the needle for honor flight? Oh, without question, without question. Um, you, you really don't grasp 
people at an emotional level without telling the story. You know, it's uh, one of the things that I've discovered is if uh, someone gets up and they start telling the facts about on a flight and we've taken X amount of people from point A to point B, uh, that's one thing. But then if somebody gets up and they tell a personal story about how their dad went on an on flight or their mom went on an on flight trip and uh, the story that's behind that and the change in their life that uh, is a direct consequence of uh, them participating with us, that's much more gripping than, than any statistical information. Yeah, absolutely. And And I remember hearing you talk at one point about the fact that you could sit there and say, you know, at the time we were losing a, almost a thousand World War II veterans per day. Um, but that doesn't really tell the story until just what you said, Earl, is, but when you talk about a grandpa or a grandma or a dad or a mom or somebody who went and has never opened up and all of a sudden, you know, they got tears in their eyes and, and the community like that, like there's not a dry eye in the house. So the, the thousand per day that we were losing at the time is a huge thing and it kind of makes you stop. But then the story is what moves you. You have to have heard, have heard some amazing stories. What, what's the most powerful kind of story that you hear out there about this? The impact that uh, going on the on flight trip has meant to somebody and their families, Dan. Hmm. Uh, early in the program, we'd been at it for about two or three years, and there was this uh, this daughter. She'd come to an open house that we have at the end of the year. It's kind of like a little recognition event, and she brought in all these family portraits. And uh, she she took me aside. She laid out these family portraits and. She said, do you notice anything unusual about this? And there were pictures of Owen Mills, CEO's portrait studio, pictures going all the way back, and then uh, pictures from his on-a-flight trip, and then family portraits after that. And she goes, do you notice anything different here in in the photographs? I said, no, uh, beautiful family. It got bigger over the years. She goes, look at my dad's face. She said, my dad never smiled. Uh, he went on the on a flight trip and now look at these family portraits. Dad was smiling. Uh, he had passed away six months ago, but she goes, you introduced me to a father. I didn't know that I even had. And it's the, the, the gut level impact that that has on us and, and all of us within on a flight and, and all the leaders, uh, that's that's the story that when you convey that um, there's there's some light bulbs that go on around the room when they they hear about what this what this means to everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and you've been involved in, in in other things over the years, but Outer Flight is the main focus. Do you? But do you think that that kind of storytelling? Um, do you think other nonprofits and other organizations can use that to their advantage? I mean, they have to, right? Certainly. Certainly, to, to, a, to a degree, when you, you impact uh, uh, people at the gut level, but honor flight strikes such a deep emotional chord because not only are you conveying an effort that shows reverence, respect, love, but also patriotism that was lost. I mean, I, I think most Americans can remember a time prior to 9-11 when Patriotism wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I can remember the, the years 
just uh, past Vietnam. Uh, Vietnam War ended in 75, and from 75 uh, through the 80s, I mean, patriotism wasn't anything that, that, uh, that really struck a chord with people. Well, it's striking a chord with people now. And I think that uh, that Honor Flight is is riding that wave. I think it's a part of the wave as well. And do you think that those stories that we tell through that, the impact, the connections, the familial connections, does that uh, overcome things like political differences and stuff? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Honor Flight knows no political uh, allegiance with anyone. And if you look back in, in World War II, who, who were some of the most notable figures that you can imagine? You think of uh, Roosevelt, you know, uh, who led the United States in, into World War II. Uh, you think about uh, John F. Kennedy, who was a U-boat commander. Uh, not, I'm sorry, a PT boat commander and, and the wounds that he suffered throughout his life. Uh, Truman, uh, who, who dropped the bomb and ended World War II. Uh, so, I mean, it, this, this effort is Democratic, Republican, but then at the end of the day, all those differences, all those walls melt, melt away because it's America and it's Americans at, at the end of the day that, uh, that really resonates with, with everyone across all party lines. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, it, and it humanizes us, right? Rather than, yeah. you know, labels yeah. d- divide us and make these things up, but these stories humanize others and we're able to connect on this deep level. And it just, yeah, it all goes away. I mean, I, I, as when I was involved with honor flight uh, myself at a local hub, it was, you know, Republicans, Democrats, any, any uh, ethnicity, any um, economic background, we all came together and that patriotism came through and it wasn't a, a patriotism of we're better than anybody. It was just a patriotism of we're, we're all connected by something. And that's just, yeah. And I think story, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. What do you, or what do you love about storytelling? If if you weren't a storyteller like professionally over the years, but now you do use story to help um, do this mission, what is it? What do you get out of it as a as a human um, when when you're using stories like that? Connecting with people, connecting with people <laughs> on such an emotional level. You know, I mean. Uh, of course, you know, you have all these sports fans everywhere and everybody connects uh, around sports allegiances like that. Um, but this is, is it such another level? If looking back at, at World War II and what was accomplished, what we asked our men and women to accomplish, uh, they collectively and literally uh, saved the world. All of Europe is free. All of the Pacific is free. And America is free for a reason. It, it, it just didn't happen. There were people that, that literally fought and made that happen. And because of their efforts, everybody today gets to go vote. Everybody today gets to go to church or not go to church. Everybody can assemble a freedom of speech. I mean, what we're doing right now, anything that we want to say, we, we can say those blessings and those freedoms came at a very high cost. And the people who, who paid that price or the people that watched their friends pay the ultimate price, they're in our community still to this day. And uh, for us to rally around as Americans, 
can get behind them and, and give them this, this one last moment in the sun is, uh, is something that every American can get behind. And it all kind of starts with that story, getting people involved, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You just make them aware of what we're doing and the impact that it has on people. You've got to tell a story. That can be very powerful as a, as a storyteller to get that feedback and see that difference made. That can be, I can see why that's something that, that you love about storytelling. What do you, what do you find as a challenge in storytelling when you're, when you're doing that? What do you, what kind of challenges do you face in that? (laughs) It's a good point because until such times as you have grasped them on an emotional level, uh, they don't care about your story. So quite often you, you have to, you have to lead with that. Um, attention span is, is one thing. Uh, if you don't, whoever it is, any audience that I'm, that I'm talking to, if you don't grasp them quickly, then there's just way too many distractions. Um, <laughs> nowadays you walk in and you tell a story and, and you're likely to have, depending upon the demographic, you're likely to have half people there, uh, on their other cell phones, you know, going through Facebook and maybe they'll glance up at you, but you, you've got to be able to convey a sense of purpose, a sense of urgency really pretty quick in any discussions that you're going to have and any storytelling that you're going to do. And, and how do you kind of do that then? I mean, as somebody who, like you said earlier on, you don't consider yourself a storyteller, but you've learned some things how do you overcome that challenge then? Uh, that's, a, that's a good point. Uh, we, we've known each other for quite a few years, Dan, and one of the things that I, I kind of have going for me that never did serve me well in school, uh, I, I've got a big mouth. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm kind of a tall guy. <laughs> you know, they say, well, we'd like to introduce our next speaker, and here we have so-and-so, and someone gets up there in a monotone voice. <laughs> I, I use all those things that were a curse when I was a kid growing up and I just come right out with it. And, you know, and, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of boisterous and bolsterous when I, when I first get up there. And it's at that moment that you've got to, uh, the, the second that you have their attention, you've, you've got to drive a point, a point home that strikes them at an emotional level. Once you have their attention, then you can, then you can go on. It, it, it's funny because when I first started going around the local area and I, and I would drive to a VFW post, you know, I'd get off work at five o'clock and drive to a VFW post and there's, you know, 30, 40 people sitting there and I'd start talking and I said, well, yeah, we're going to have to wrap this up. You only, you only have about five minutes, you know, we've got other things on our agenda and it, and I, and I'd try to get their attention and it wasn't very successful, uh, at least not initially. And I'd say, okay, fine. Do you have a PC projector? Do you have a laptop? You know, and I said, well, no, well, I'll bring my own and, uh, get up there for the meeting. And before I'd say anything, they'd say, you got five minutes. I'd show a video or uh, I'd show uh, some footage of a trip, you know, a very moving, powerful moment, you know, where uh, there's a World War II veteran with, with or without me, whatever was the most gripping. And I'd show that for five minutes. I wouldn't even say anything. They'd say, you got five minutes. I'd show them that. And, and then I'd say, thank you very much for giving me that five minutes. 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on for just a minute. Uh, we want to hear more about this. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go ahead and extend our meeting a little bit. What else can you tell us about, you know, what, what, whatever this is? And, uh, yeah, that was a lesson that uh, I, I learned within the first year of going and giving presentations. You got you to gotta grip them pretty quick, pretty yeah. early, or and they when, don't really care. Right. And when you grip them like that, they invite you back. Now you've got an open forum. That's powerful, right? Exactly. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, and, and then then oh, we're going to extend the meeting for 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 this cause, for this effort, for, for this this individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and I I enjoy that, but that was a that was a hard lesson to learn. Yeah, bring it, bring in the the emotion, the passion, the personality to a presentation. That's kind of what I hear you saying. Um, and, and quickly, uh huh, yeah. quickly, and and also, I mean, and I don't know if this is my thought or what I see you doing or whatever, but I, but what comes to mind though, is kind of this word or kind of this, this picture of, of you going out Earl and to the community. And instead of walking around with your hand out and up, like you're asking for money, I, I picture you going out with your hand out, like a handshake and just bringing people in. Is that, yeah, yeah. is that on purpose? Uh, my background having served 21 years in the military um, there's, there's a camaraderie there when I, when I, especially when I speak to, to veterans groups, um, my dad was in the military for 20 years. So until I was about 41, 42 years old, that was all I knew. So when I, when I get up in front of uh, fraternal organizations or veterans groups, there is that, that instant camaraderie. And, uh, that, that's something that, that, that I feed upon because I, I love it. I, I love this population of people. But then as the years have gone by, I've, I've also noticed that uh, other people love veterans. And when you have in that room, you have their sons, their daughters, their grandsons, their granddaughters that think just as much of, of that veteran as I do, if not more, then if you can, if you can draw that out in a presentation, uh, that's, that's powerful. You're, you're going to have their attention. And Dan, I want to share one of the things with you that uh, this, this is something that I've been speaking to here lately because we are losing so many veterans, uh, especially our, our World War II veterans. But if uh, it's something that I've discovered that, that kind of unifies everybody in the room behind this common cause is a discussion that I had with a veteran. And I he was actually with uh, – with, uh, Patton during World War II, and they invaded North Africa, and then they went to Sicily, and then they went up to Italy. They were fighting their way across Europe. Then they were going into uh, Switzerland and the Netherlands, and and in in pursuit of Hitler, this guy, Dan, was on the front lines for like two and a half years. And I asked him, I said, wow, I mean, getting up every day, and you're on the front lines, I said, I'm just kind of curious, what, what motivated you? I said, I, I've heard a lot of people who are fighting, and they say, well, I was fighting for my, my buddy on either side of me. That, that's, that's what got me up every morning. That's what got me fighting. I said, was, it, was that true for you? He said, no. No, I wasn't fighting for my buddy. He goes, my buddies were dead. Oh. And he said, I had replacements on either side of me. In fact, I had replacements on top of replacements on either side of me. I, I wasn't fighting for my buddy. I said, well, what were you fighting for? He said, I was fighting for my wife that I hadn't met yet. 
<laughs> and I was fighting for my kids and my grandkids and my great grandkids that weren't conceived yet. And uh, I looked to the audience and I tell them, you people are the grandsons, the great grandsons, the granddaughters of these veterans that were fighting for you before you were conceived. I said, that's what got them up every day. And that's what brought them home. So you got to tell that story that unifies everybody in the room. And, uh, and that's, that's one of the many reasons why I believe honor flight has been so successful. You're not supposed to make me cry on these things, man. <laughs> that, man. No, no, Dan, Dan. That was awesome. Nobody cries. Nobody cries on on a fight. You know that. That's our right. Allergies it's allergies. Up. Our allergies are <laughs> swear, but, but no, nobody cries. No. <laughs> and, and it's true, Earl. It's so gripping. You know, my my four and a half years of of helping to run a local hub. Every time I spoke, that welling would come up in my chest because we were sharing such amazing stories of amazing people and you know the thing is again going back to like politics right like it crosses those lines nobody's oh, yeah nobody's yeah. perfect right these these you know these old men and old women affectionately said they're not perfect uh-huh. war is never fun war is hell right but yeah but at the yeah. end of the day they were doing it back then for us and they're just such amazing people and that man my gosh yeah I could never get through a presentation without choking up in some way. Um, (laughs) No, no. And the other thing too is I've had veterans. This is earlier in the program. I had a veteran call up to cancel. And this was like 48 hours before the the honor flight trip. Well, early in the program, airlines weren't that generous to us. You know, we were just another nonprofit organization. So this guy's going to cancel 48 hours before the flight. And I said, sir, this is going to cost us money. We, we can't just put another uh, uh, veteran in the seat. I said, do you need a wheelchair? Do you have leg problems? I said, we'll, we'll get you a wheelchair. No, that's not it. And I said, well, well, how about, do you have a breathing problem? Because we'll bring oxygen, you know? No, no, that's, that's not it at all. I said, sir, would you please tell me why you're not going to be able to go? And, and he said, he said, I'm afraid I'll go and I'll start crying. And I won't be able to stop crying. And I, told him, I said, and I laughed at him. And people, people hear that and they go, you laughed at him. I said, I laughed at him because it's like everyone cries on an honor flight trip. I told him, I said, listen, you go on an honor flight trip. If you don't cry, you're going to be the only person on the entire trip in the airport that's not crying. I said, everybody cries. So, uh, Except for except for me and you, because it's just allergies that right. flare up every once so, yeah. That's right. That's funny. Um, so how did I want to go back to that to that first honor flight? I got to believe the story played a part in this, but I want to ask this: How did how in the world did you convince a group of guys, your friends, to give up their planes to donate the cost of fuel their day to do this thing? Was it story? Was it relationships? How did you convince these guys like, like Joe Oram, who, who I know now and like, like he's a good yeah, guy. Yeah. Wrong, how, I mean, we're all busy. Yeah. This costs money. Uh-huh. How, did, how did you convince these friends to, to go all in with you? Well, <laughs> That's a good question. There's a lot of selfish motivation behind that on the part of, uh, of every pilot, but that's not the key factor. Let, let, let me explain 
if if you're a private pilot, you love adventures. You love going to different areas. In fact, there's a there's a, a book that's out there. It's called the One Hundred Dollar Hamburger. And as a pilot, everybody knows about it. Uh, basically, it's a listing of great restaurants that you can fly out to, you know, and and they rate the restaurants that are close to the airport, and then you fly back. So so pilots in general are looking for a, a good reason to, to get in their plane and spend a lot of money to go from point A to point B. Out at uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, we had the largest aero club in the nation. And uh, it was a military aero club, so I'm talking to a room full of people that uh, they're there today because they stand on the shoulders of our, our former military. That well, We have the, the, the greatest Air Force, the greatest Army, the greatest Navy, Marine, Coast Guard uh, people, uh, units in, in the world. And that's because of our predecessors. And when I got up to speak at the Aero Club meeting and I said, this, this is what I would like to do. I said, uh, right now, I'm at a VA clinic in Springfield, Ohio. I've been taking care of these same veterans for the past seven years. And now they finally have a memorial. And I've asked all 300 of my veterans, have you been to your memorial? Because, frankly, I was kind of curious. You know, I'd never been to the memorial. I've seen some pictures of it. I wanted to know what their experience was like going out there. And none of them, I mean, the memorial was dedicated in May because they're my patients. I see them every three, six months. So now we're into winter. We're into December, January, and I'd seen them all back. And I'd say, what was your memorial like? You know, have you seen it? And uh, not one of them had been. And I said, do you, are you going to go? Do you have any plans? And And none of them, they realized then that they weren't going to be richer next year. They weren't going to have uh, more funding. Their their kids or grandkids weren't going to have more time the following year. They were never going to see their memorial. So when I went up and spoke before the Aero Club, I said, I've got about 300 veterans that, that they're never going to see their memorial. And if you want to make this happen uh, this summer, um, two rules. Rule number one, the World War II veterans, they're not to pay a penny. You guys and gals are going to pay the entire aircraft rental fee because the veterans that I see, their life savings are gone. Their houses are gone. They live in an apartment. And each month they have to decide, well, do I eat or do I take my prescriptions? And that was usually the emphasis, the, the, the driving factor that brought them out to the VA. I said, you're going to pay the entire aircraft rental fee, number one. Number two, I will teach you how to take care of these, these 80 and these 90 year old uh, men and women. I said, you, you can't fly out to Washington DC and then go hang out with your fellow military buddies that are stationed out there. I said, your sole purpose is to take excellent care of these veterans and then bring them home. Uh, that really struck a chord with, with these pilots. And I had uh, 11 pilots who'd never met any of my patients who stepped forward and said, yeah, you know, put, put my name down. I, I, I want to make this happen. So, uh, no, it was, it was never an issue of having to, to get aggressive in a recruiting strategy for these, these wonderful patriotic men and women who themselves served in the military and served on the shoulders of the people who, uh, who we were targeting with, with our honor flight trips. Yeah. So it comes down, I think about 
the marketing side of things, story time, this kind of thing. And what it comes down to me is, is three words, know your audience, right? Like <laughs> you had, you had this mission and instead of going to just random people on the street and saying, Hey, you want to do this? No, I'm too busy. Yeah. yeah. You knew oh, yeah. Who to go after, yeah. So that's important. Know your that would have never worked. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, so something you mentioned earlier that I want to go back to that made me think about this. Uh, you talked about being, being in a room, giving a presentation and half the people are on Facebook. Um, yeah. How do you think social media is affecting the, the craft of storytelling and how we tell our stories? Do you see it as a positive, a negative, or, or what, what is it for you for social media? I think it's a positive if you know how to utilize it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're right. It's so many, you know, you, you talk about the Reader's Digest version of a story, you know, or whatever the story is. Uh, I, I used to enjoy reading uh, Reader's Digest because you, you could digest a lot of information, you know, through about four or five pages. It, it was great uh, without having to read the entire book of, of whatever the topic was. Well, in, in 2018, 2019, and the foreseeable future, it's almost now being condensed down to a snapshot. As you're thumbing through, you know, Facebook or Twitter or, or whatever, uh, you you got to grip people pretty early. And if you're skilled at it, if if you know what you're doing, if you develop a following, then uh, it's it, it's a lot easier. I I don't think that it as as a show, as a social medium. Uh, I, I don't believe it's it's a detriment to storytelling because once you attract people, then they're more interested about what it is that you're doing. And then they will go to your, your website. They'll go to your link. And then they go ahead and then read more. But, uh, yeah, you really need to, uh, to to grab people early in whatever means that is. And it's usually a photograph or a very short video. If you're skilled at it, it's a tremendous tool. So you see it as kind of a way to lead them back to your home base, your website then, as far as like businesses or whatever go then, huh? Right. Oh yeah, yeah. D- definitely. Um, and and p- people who, for whatever reason, they're just thumbing through their, their Facebook, their Twitter account, and they come across a gripping picture. I'm the same way. And you're probably the same way as well. You know, you, you look at that, hmm, this is interesting. You click on it and then, you follow it at your convenience and at your level of interest. And I think with each um, peeling of the onion, so to speak, uh, if it continues to draw you in, well, then, uh, it, then you've done a very good marketing campaign. Uh, you, you've, you've reached an audience that uh, now is behind you. Absolutely. And and do you see, uh, I got to imagine as, as the, 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 founder of the honor flight idea co-founder of the honor flight network you probably are connected to a lot of local hubs there's like 150 across the country or whatever it is now um do you see those hubs using social media to tell stories well do you have one that you've seen that you're like oh my gosh that's an amazing one right there do you have any examples of that um just just about all of them uh, mm-hmm. well i mean there's there's some that not they're not as active as others they're some of the hubs that stand out, I would have to say, would be uh, On a Flight Chicago. They do a, a, a great job. Um, also, uh, Stars and Stripes does a, does a wonderful job. Um, but it, again, it, it kind of depends on, on what the, the picture is. So many people across the country that are associated with On a Flight, um, that kind of becomes a bit of a, 
of a, a precedence. If you're looking at bringing on board members, if you're looking at developing a program, you've got to bring in somebody with a keen uh, PR sense that can get, get that word out. And uh, the younger people uh, that are, are more akin and then get their information off of Facebook and Twitter accounts and, and, and social media similar to that, you want to bring them on your board. You know, you you want them to be able to get your word out uh, to that to that group of people. Uh, I think newspaper, print media. When I first started on our flight, that was pretty big. If you had a story on the front page of your local newspaper, uh, th that generated a lot of interest, a, a lot of attention. That's not where I see the future going. Do you think that those newspapers, instead of being on the front page of the newspaper, are you still seeing them have power within the digital the digital world, though? Uh, yes, yes, okay. especially with uh, subsequent generation. I mean, uh, the Vietnam veterans, uh, the Korean veterans, and the surviving uh, World War II veterans, that's where they get a lot of their, their information from. Uh, it, it's interesting where a lot of our applications come from. Uh, quite often, they're they're much more likely to come from the grandson or the granddaughter of a, a World War II Korean or or even Vietnam veteran. Uh, but if you if you want to tell a story and if you want to go after that demographic to make them aware of this program, uh, to, uh, to 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 include in, in the print media, this is how you fill out an application, and this is how we we get you from point A to point B. The beneficiaries of our program uh, get a lot from uh, newsprint media, but uh, we get a lot, lot more support. A lot more applications actually come from next generation family members who have been drawn into our efforts and then take full advantage of uh, the technology nowadays. Absolutely, and it's and it's funny because you you know you mentioned the younger folks and absolutely agree. Younger generations, you know, uh, Gen X, Millennial, and younger are very adept typically at the digital world. But I see guys like our mutual friend, Stephen Brown, who is, is not a spring chicken, <laughs> has been around the block. But, but my goodness, that man is, is just phenomenal on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook both because he does share those stories and those photos. And of course, man, it's hard not to love a photo where you've got you know, somebody like Teresa dancing with a World War II veteran or oh, uh, yeah. one of the parks yeah. guys or whatever. So, I mean – it kind of lends itself to it. But yeah, even the, the older generations, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to call Stephen old. Stephen, if you're listening, I'm sorry, you're not old. Um, <laughs> but those more experienced generations can still use these tools and learn from them. And it's, it's incredible, isn't it? It's such a cool time to be. Oh, old. yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to Stephen Brown's credit, nobody takes photographs like he does. I mean, it, oh. they're gripping, you know, and uh, that really lends itself to, to the media. Um, to the, the the social media out there, you know, you, if you you pop on a gripping photograph, it's like, oh, this is cool. And yeah, and, and Stephen Brown is is very good at, of course, not just being a photographer, but uh, taking full advantage of, uh, of of today's way of getting the word out mm -hmm. and telling a story through those. It's it's awesome. It's incredible. I, oh I yeah. yeah, such a cool guy. Um, it so, is. I, so I look at what you do um, in life as someone who's kind of like made it. Right. And, and not that, you know, you're, you know, I don't know, Oprah or somebody like that, but like you, you get, to, you get to live the life that you want to, right. You move to Maine cause you love the area. Um, you get to fly, you know, go get your hundred dollar burger. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> do you do you kind of look around and and think that yourself? Like at what point in your life have you kind of gone, man, I'm I'm pretty blessed, or is that a daily ritual for you to to be grateful? Uh, kind of kind of a mixed bag. I I do have obstacles that that I'm still trying to overcome in regards to on a flight. Um, I'm. The, the honor flight, the essence of the honor flight program itself, uh, getting veterans to the memorial and then getting them back, uh, having having done that from for for 13 years is is very powerful, uh, very very moving, and I'm glad for the the role that I've played in that. But now, as a, as a healthcare provider, uh, working at, at a clinic, taking care of, of veterans. Uh, I see the ravages, the scars of post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, I am now going to focus more of my attention on the therapeutic aspects of, of an on-flight trip and what this could mean and what this often does mean to veterans who, who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and uh, there's, there's, there's concern. There's... Uh, uh, and justifiably so, you know, uh, veterans with, with PTSD, I think they get a, a horrible rap in the press. If, if there's something on the national news about a veteran with PTSD, normally it involves a shooting, uh, somebody dying. And, and we have yet again another, uh, another tragic story linked to PTSD. But in my daily activities, <laughs> The 99.9% of the veterans that, that, that I see, that I have the privilege of, of treating that uh, suffer from PTSD, they're nowhere near that, that point in their lives. They suffer. They, uh, they, they, they do not socialize that much because of, of the traumas that they've experienced. And I, I personally believe that, that I could do a better job reaching out to this, this group of, of individuals. And that's, that's my motivation in, in moving forward. Uh, but yeah, th those obstacles are a frustration and, and I, I get, uh, I get upset from time to time. Uh, but, uh, just, just last night I was sitting there, I was thinking about, um, what, the successes and the failures that I've had. And, uh, you're right. I look back on everything that's been accomplished in, in my lifestyles. I have a lot, I have a lot to be grateful for, uh, to sit back and rest on that and to, uh, to relax on that is, I don't, I don't think it's in my makeup to, to, to just, um, count my blessings only and say, okay, uh, it is finished. <laughs> my, my, my job here is done. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's personally, that's pretty much where, where I'm at right now. I, I'm grateful for the successes, but I, I believe in my heart that, that, that I can do more. I believe in my heart that, that we all could do more for veterans with PTSD. Mm -hmm. There's, there's more work to be done. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. What, what part, so <clears throat> I don't even know if this can necessarily go anywhere, but I, I'm very curious to, to know your thoughts. Um, I see story. And, and connection and humanizing is a very powerful thing. What part do you think story plays in that world of helping veterans or anybody with PTSD? Can, can story help with the healing or is story more how to tell their stories in order to get them help? Like what part does that play? Do you think? I think stories from, from where I sit right now, 
uh, involve getting them more help, uh, you would never go up to a veteran with PTSD and say, you know, t- tell me your story. You know, wh- why is it that you don't come out of the house? Why? Mm-hmm. I- I'm really curious as to what were the traumas that, that brought you to this point. So uh, stories play a key role in, in getting veterans help. Uh, one of the worst phone calls uh, that, that I've had to make this week, I had to call um, this, this, this wife and uh, give her my condolences because uh, of the recent passing of her, her husband. And he, uh, he was a uh, Navy corpsman uh, in Vietnam. He'd done one tour in Vietnam, but it was a, it was a horrific tour. He was at Quezon. Uh, in 1968, uh, Quezon was an embattled uh, runway isolated strip that was under constant attack, constant attack for three, four months. And they were occasionally the, the, the enemy would be in the perimeter and they'd repel the attack and they were under constant attack all the time. He, he brought those physical and psychological wounds home with him. Um, he struggled with uh, alcoholism and alcohol dependence for years and years and years. And uh, I met him about two years ago. Well, he's a Navy corpsman. Every single v, uh, every every single physician assistant in this country owe their existence to Navy corpsmen. In 1963, the very first PA program, there was only four individuals that had signed up for that and they were at duke university all four of them were navy corpsmen who had uh, seen battle in, in vietnam and these people were doing incredible things they weren't doctors but they were doing appendectomies they were doing amputations they were treating some horrific wounds in the field and president kennedy said there's got to be something between nurses and doctors and that's that was the genesis of, of the, the pa program I had two years with this veteran who was my predecessor in so many ways. And uh, he, he was my hero. And when he would be successful and, and he was sober and his wife and his daughters would come in, he had three daughters and they were just so, so proud of him, so beaming. And I was so proud just to be in his presence. And I encouraged him as, as much as I could. But, uh, in the end, uh, his demons overcame him, um, and uh, he, he succumbed. So I had to make that phone call yesterday, Friday, uh, to the wife. And uh, I just believe in my heart of hearts, were this person eligible, uh, available, uh, if, if, the, if the program uh, of Honor Flight was now geared towards getting these veterans uh, a trip and uh, in the right circumstance. And there's a lot that goes behind, goes on behind the scenes in order to make this happen for them without uh, triggering any problems. I, I, I can't help but think perhaps he would have been helped. I just will never know. Hmm. And, uh, and so, sometimes I just get too close to, to, uh, to the to the situations and to the veterans and to their families to then step back from that and then approach 
uh, on a flight and say, uh, I mean, and, and when I say on a flight, I'm talking local, national, and say, this is what we need to do. <laughs> and, and everybody needs to get on board with this, you know, and this is how we're going to do it. And it's like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes there. <laughs> we we kind of have our hands full right now. So, yeah, that, that that's a frustration. But as as a storyteller, uh, I, I can see that that's what's going to work. At least that's what I hope is going to work because you're not going to get the stories from the veterans themselves. You may get it from the families as this program evolves, but you don't even ask a veteran suffering from PTSD. Hey, what happened? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sorry you lost your friend. Um, thank you for being there for him. Uh, that's, that's a, a powerful thing. And, and hopefully telling his story does help others. Um, but, what you just wrapped it up with is something that I, I wrote down and I was thinking about. Um, don't simply go up and ask what's your story. Uh, that's important to remember, mm -hmm. you know, if they're willing right. to share it, be willing to listen. Right. Right. Exactly. Don't, don't like force it yeah. out of them. So yeah, man, no. uh -uh. power, powerful stuff, man. Um, what do you, th what do you think for you is your most favorite way to tell a story? Is it through, one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations? Is it from a stage? Is it through, you know, a social post? What, what's your favorite way to, to get that story out there for you? What's, what's the platform? Oh, an audience. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely an audience. I mean, there is such instant feedback, you mm -hmm. know, when, when you're in front of, of a group of people. Uh, and when you, when you connect on an emotional level with, with everybody in the room and, and uh, you can see them all laughing. You can see them cheering. You can you can see them crying. Not that you go for that. You know, it's not like, oh, I know what I want to do in this speech. I want everybody in the room crying. <laughs> it's like you, you'd never do that. Well, but sometimes. <laughs> you, 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 you have connection. You have instant connection. And you, you have uh, instantaneous acknowledgement of whether or not you're actually getting through to these people. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's what I really enjoy doing. Uh, my, my schedule is so busy. I, I can't imagine one-on-one -on -one conversations with people being a more effective and uh, way, way to, to get the story across. I, I enjoy that time. But if, if I'm a, if I'm a man on a mission, it's going to be, uh, to, to an audience of people. I love, I absolutely love that. It's funny because that's, that's one of my favorite too. And I, I, I hear again and again, how like the fear of speaking in front of an audience is greater than the fear of death for most people. I know. <laughs> I'm like, no, I but know. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I really, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like just the opposite. I, I absolutely, I, I love it. I, I love it. Especially when you connect, there's probably not a greater uh, feeling of failure. And I've been there as well especially in the early days of honor flight where you come out of the room going, Oh, that was a complete and total waste of time. <laughs> right. Yeah. What, what do you yeah. do to, what do you do to, to, to learn from that? How do you battle that failure? I mean, we all, we all have failures. What did, mm -hmm. what did, what did Earl Morse do to, to overcome those? Uh, it's all perspective. Hmm. There is no such thing as failure. If you learn from it, 
you know, and you learn from, okay, this isn't going to work next time. Okay, this is a very valuable tool. This is something that I can build upon. This is something that's going to make my presentation next time better. If you, you, I never, ever, either personally or professionally or, you know, certainly with Onaflight, look at any situation where, oh, that was a failure. Because uh, if you do, if you look at it purely from a, a, a win-loss scenario, then yeah, that's truly a failure. But if you can learn from it, it's not a failure. Great, great advice. Great perspective to use perspective. I love it. So Earl, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, man. I, this has been enlightening. It's been fun to reconnect with Honor Flight. I, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, our, our time is nearly up. So I want to ask you this, this question. If, if somebody said to you tomorrow, you're all done telling stories, you can no longer do that to get your message out, to do whatever. What do you think would be your last story to go out on? How would that look for you? Uh, yeah, this one, I'll try to get through this without getting too choked up. But uh, it, it, was a, it was a hot day, probably about, we've been into the program for about four or five months. And I'm, I'm greeting people at the World War II Memorial. We've had a group come in from Cleveland which was, which was, uh, you know, my home state of Ohio and, and I'm shaking their hands and I'm, you know, welcoming people to their memorial. And this one veteran comes in, he's in a wheelchair and he's on oxygen and, uh, he's kind of choked up as he comes underneath the Pacific arch, you know, the en entry into the, the world war II world. And I noticed that he had a shirt on that said, uh, well, he had, he actually had a, a a vest over his on a flight shirt that said uh, D-Day survivor. And I, I got down on one knee and I said, wow, thank you for your service, sir. Uh, where did you come ashore? And he goes, uh, I was at uh, Omaha Beach, 9.07 a.m. He goes, we were in the third wave. And my, my jaw just dropped, you know, because everybody that came in on D-Day they know exactly what time they hit the beach because then, you know, time hack, they had to take this bridge or blow up that bridge. I mean, they had these various rally points and these objectives that had to be accomplished. When he told me exactly where, he, what time he came ashore, it's like this guy was there. And uh, I said, it's such an honor to meet you, sir. And then he, he went off to another area and I welcomed more veterans. Well, Dan, that was the same day that we, we had a lot of national and international coverage from on flight. I think ABC was there and CBS was there. And also BBC uh, was, had, a, had a film crew there. And when you have the major network show up, good grief, that's an entourage. You got your videographer, you got your sound person, the lighting person, you've got the talent, the reporter, and then you had the, the director, you know, on-scene director. And, and so it was the same response from all of these people who came up to me throughout the day and the young ladies who were like the, the director or the on-site manager or whatever, they all had these Jacqueline Onassis sunglasses on, you know, and they came up and they said, Earl, we're having a hard time. And I said, well, what's a hard time? And I could see through their big sunglasses. There were tears coming down their eyes. <laughs> and she goes, we go up to these veterans and we ask them, they said, we say, what, what does it mean to you to be here at your memorial? She goes, the veterans start crying, and then we all start crying. The film crews crying. 
And, and I said, don't ask them, what does it mean to be here at the memorial? I said, you're not going to get a response because it's just too emotional. I said, uh, ask them, where did they serve? Ask them what the food was like. Well, ask them, you know, if, what branch of the military did they went. Don't ask them what it means to them personally to be here at the, at the memorial. I said, look, you see that, you see that guy over there? He's in a wheelchair and he's on oxygen. Well, he came ashore on DD and it just struck me. I had an epiphany while I was pointing to that guy in a wheelchair on oxygen. They had epiphany was this guy, he didn't have a prayer of ever seeing his memorial. It was never going to happen for him. Oxygen, wheelchair, are you kidding me? He was never going to see his memorial. And in my opinion, there was nobody more deserving to see their memorial. And I, I just paused there for a minute, and, it, and it, it hit me that this memorial was filled with veterans, some in, in, in wheelchairs, some on oxygen. It, it would have never happened. So, I, you know, I directed the media uh, to to that that person and and later I, I'd seen that he was he'd done some interviews which was which was really really heartwarming but the, the greatest successes with with honor flight is when you go there and that World War II memorial is packed with World War II veterans and Korean memorial and it's packed with Korean uh, veterans and. and the Vietnam Memorial packed with Vietnam veterans, and they're all wearing honor flight shirts. <laughs> God, that's the greatest sensation. That, that's a that's a greatest feeling, and that's you know, since that's the the greatest feeling that that I get when I go to Washington D.C., that's the story behind that. Beautiful story, my friend. I appreciate you sharing that. It has been. Oh, Dan, 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 I appreciate what you've <laughs> done and what you continue to do. You're one of us, man. <laughs> you've been there. You've done that. So it's like mm. I'm, I'm talking to a brother here. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you for what you've done, Dan. My honor and privilege, as you know, man. You're very welcome. Well, listen, I know, yeah. I know that honorflightnetwork.org is where people can find information. Uh, any place you want to direct people to to connect with you, my friend? Uh, me personally, that would be uh, founder at honorflight.org. Founder at honorflight.org. Perfect. Well, thanks again, man. It's been an absolute incredible experience. <laughs> oh, Dan, thank you. Thank you for having me. Once again, thank you so much to Honor Flight Network co-founder Earl Morse. You can connect with him and Honor Flight at the links in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone. In fact, uh, off script here, share it with someone who is a veteran or uh, wants to serve veterans because this honor flight mission is absolutely incredible. I personally was involved with a, a local hub here in Southwest Michigan for about four and a half years. And, and it all depends on local connections. So please, please let veterans know that this exists, find a local hub to get them to DC. Uh, this is just a, a huge, huge thing. Uh, so there you go. Uh, but as far as the show itself goes, again, please go ahead and share it. Uh, social media, stop someone on the street and tell them, do whatever you want to do. Uh, just go ahead and, and, and share that. I really appreciate it. And if you want to share your story with me, go to storytellersnetwork.com, hit contact Dan on the contact page, send me an email and let me know what you love or don't love uh, about the show. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers. 
we'll just start a conversation and I'll edit it together with my intro later and that kind of stuff. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Uh, well, yeah, unless you want to talk about the Ohio State uh, Michigan football game, but no, we we can skip right past that. <laughs> lucky, <laughs> lucky for you, uh, I'm I'm wearing my Red Wings shirt today because that's my team, the Wolverines. Ah, okay. Meh, whatever. <laughs> okay, uh, well, good, good. So, so the interview is going to go a lot easier. Good, I, I'm glad. But, I mean, the bottom line is our team didn't show up. I, th- I think what happened was we sent the Lions in instead of <laughs> – So, man, you guys, you guys brought it. I tell you what, the Ohio State brought it, so congratulations. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens today. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. All right, cool.